Hi, and welcome to the Classroom to Clerkship podcast, a five-part series about transitioning from the classrooms of medical school to the wards and clinics of the medical school clerkships. I'm your host, Lauren Kutcher. In this episode, episode three of the series, we will be talking to Dr. Mark Henderson. Dr. Henderson is a big deal in both the Department of Internal Medicine and the School of Medicine at UC Davis. He has a strong background as a clinician educator and has spent much time doing research on medical education. I was lucky enough to sit down with Dr. Henderson for a conversation that I'm now excited to bring to you. And so, without further ado, on to the episode. I'm here with Dr. Henderson and wanted to start asking you a few questions, if that's okay. Sounds good. So, the first one is, when and how did you decide to become an educator? Okay. Uh, Well, uh, to full disclosure, I come from a family of, I don't know about a family, a a family of teachers. My mom's a teacher, and one, two, I guess she and two of her siblings are teachers, and I mean, from a very large family. Um, And so I guess maybe it's in my blood to some degree, but I didn't really think about becoming a teacher until I was a resident in internal medicine and at a time which I was called to do a lot of teaching. So I think after experiencing that, and I think I should say maybe back in medical school that I thought about teaching simply because I felt like I was influenced very strongly by teachers in medicine. I didn't even really know you could be a teacher and a doctor, but once I saw that as a possibility, I think I I had an inkling I might do that even in medical school, but certainly after being a resident in internal medicine, having to do that a lot, that made me consider that as a future career. That was a long answer. No, that makes sense. You said you have a lot of you had a lot of teachers that mm-hmm. um, really inspired you to go into yes. teaching. Do you remember any of those teachers? Sure, absolutely. So the first one I can remember very clearly. I was uh, a student at the VA, and um, I had a resident who was I felt a very I'm going to call him. His name was Leo. I'll just say his first name. He, he was a very non-traditional uh, uh, resident in the sense that he was a black kid from South Chicago, and he, but he was an amazing role model for me in internal medicine. And I thought what he did, the way he was able to connect to patients and demonstrate how to care for them and how to. I can remember him showing me how to listen to the heart, like for a particular, like it was to listen to an S3 and being his way with patients. And, you know, I think it really inspired me to think about one, internal medicine, because this was an internal medicine rotation, but two, to try to, it also gave me confidence to, to think I might be able to do that if I could connect. He was a connector, like he knew how to, he knew people, he he knew how to, um, which is what I thought I knew, because I come my other the other side of my family is all sort of like auto mechanic type, so they have car repair shops and mm-hmm. auto parts stores, and so I worked kind of in that environment of mm, it's like customer service in some mm-hmm. sense, but it's also kind of dirty, you know, 
greasy work and kind of, uh, and then I worked as a, in a restaurant for many years as a kid as in high school. So I, I knew a lot about people, but I didn't know if that would translate to medicine, but he made me feel like it could and, and then that I could be a teacher also. But there are others after him as well. So that was in medical school. Um, anyway. What did he, what, what were some of the things that he would do that were particularly yeah. effective? Because, yeah, you know, for people going into third year, yes. what, what did he show you and what were the yeah. things that you liked most? I think back to, I sort of alluded to this, he was, he was able to, um, at the core of it, I think, put patients at ease. Yeah. And um, use his ability to get to know them and to put them at ease to maybe subtly extract the information from them that he needed to make the diagnosis or have the patient um, get on board with the treatment plan or uh, mm -hmm. be able to do a sensitive exam of them to engender tr to trust, to earn trust quickly. I mean, I saw that happening very quickly and I saw it in contrast to a lot of the other people I'd seen as a medical student who were very intellectual and not that he wasn't intellectual he was very smart in fact he had that combination he was both a winning if you will winning personality but he was really smart too in a practical way whereas I thought some of the other people I had met along the way as a medical student were very one very intellectual in a in a kind of non-clinical sense one and two very kind of full of themselves which to me coming from where i come from and grew up i didn't that didn't that bugged me so i liked that he was like an everyman mm -hmm. to some degree so i don't know if that yeah no that's yeah i think that's really good especially for those who are going into third year that you don't i mean you have to hone in on your physical exam skills and all your knowledge, but you also just kind of have to be a good human. There you go, Lauren. Yeah. To me, that's, and I can remember on this particular, obviously it was a very formative or influential experience for me, but the first patient I ever took care of, I can still remember this guy. He was a young, he's a Vietnam vet who had uh, cocaine-induced rhabdomyolysis and which is again still I see it today happening for other reasons but I mean he I, can, I, I took care of him for like three weeks and he, almost the entire time I was on the rotation and my main job was really just to get to know him as a person that's really the the, hmm. the, the thing I did now of course getting to know him I came to know his disease and I can still tell you a lot about rhabdo today from that first lesson, which is a long time ago, like like 30 years ago. Yeah. We're talking 30 years ago, and I can still remember him, his story. I remember at the end of the rotation when we discharged, it was almost the end of the rotation, We did when we discharged him, I remember he bought me this polyester shirt. He gave it to me as a gift <laughs> for taking care of him. Like, in, 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 in the reason I say that is you could, at the VA, there was something called the canteen, which is a low-cost yeah, option for the vets. It's like a gift shop. It's like a glorified gift shop. And they had these, these like tacky polyester shirts. And I remember he, 
when when we said goodbye, he, he handed me this shirt. <laughs> Amazing, right? <laughs> so amazing. I mean, you know. So um, yeah, he was a Mexican guy who was a Vietnam vet. Anyway, so but 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 I guess the the thing is when you're um, in going to third year or when you're not to me it's like moving to a new country right mm -hmm. a new language new cultural customs new expectations lots of uh maybe anxiety and uncertainty and certainly i had that feeling but the fact that i could see that at the core of that or it seemed to me it was demonstrated that at the core of that is this connection between people that you can make with someone who's ill in this particular instance, someone in the hospital, but you know that making that connection was just as important as all the other stuff, like the fancy biochemical pathways or understanding of physiology or these things that we learn about in medical school that that are important, but maybe the other stuff is a little uh, maybe at the time underemphasized in medical mm -hmm. education. So that was that was a lesson. And I was good at that, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you work, I was a busboy for three years when I say the restaurant. When you're a busboy, right, think about that. I don't know. If you haven't been in a restaurant, you don't know what it's like. I mean, you see the other side, but you basically are like doing stuff for other people and then, and then getting yelled at all the time. And then, you know, you might break a dish, you get yelled at by the cooks, you get yelled at by the customers. The waitresses treat you like you're on the bottom of the totem pole. You have to suck up to them to get like a little bit of the tips. I mean, there's just, it's a whole complicated thing. Kind of like going to third year. Where you go, right? <laughs> right? So it big different expectations yeah. and you're thinking, and it's dirty work, right? It's all greasy at the end of your eight hours. You're, you're all greasy and, you know, because, you know, you got, you got to, you're carrying dirty plates back to the greasy kitchen. This was a steakhouse. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, so maybe that's a metaphor for. Yeah, so I think honestly. people who have worked in restaurants, waitresses, um, servers, etc., they kind of get that about when people are mad about the thing that they paid for, or, or you know their food, or the coffee's cold. Uh, that's not too far away from someone who's ill and feels one uh, scared or uh, mad. Uh, uh, in pain you know they don't have control so i don't i don't think that's too far off mm -hmm. so i actually think that part is pretty good training yeah i think so too so that's actually i i like your um allusion to just being there to listen to i think that a lot of times med students tell me that they feel bad because they let down the patient because you know they got the diagnosis wrong or they mm -hmm. you know didn't order the right lab test and like your job is to be a third year and and the best thing about third year is you get to sit down and listen I love and it. spend yeah. as much time as you yeah. possibly can with the patient and that in and of itself is is healing and yes and is there are there other ways besides you know listening to the patient talk but other ways that you practice and hone in on your your yeah. your physical exam skills because you're kind of the master at um. that well, let me go back to, before I answer that, let me just go back to what you said, Lauren, okay. which I think is a great point. As a third-year student, your job I, is what you just said, which is to get to know the patients in the deepest possible way. Now, the longer you spend, the more time and effort you put into that, the more you're going to get out of it. 
And I see some students, I think, I'll just go back to this, maybe squander that opportunity in some sense because they want to go, and I know we encourage this, the big we, I don't know if I do, but to go study for the test, learn all this, learn about diseases so that you can do, get a good score. All that kind of focus to me takes away from what you're talking about, which is, look, I'm just going to get to know this person in, in, in as much as possible. And I don't mean just as a person, but what their disease is, that their lupus has totally affected their, maybe they couldn't have a baby, maybe they have a you know painful chronic pain from their arthritis. Maybe the ways that their disease becomes part of who they are is also what you need to get to know. So that does teach you about the medicine part, not just the human part. I mean, that's all, to me, it's all connected, right? You almost don't need to study that much you if you're learning about it while you're there. Totally. And that was the other revelation I had as a third-year student. I was like, wow, all this abstract information I've been learning that really never stuck onto any kind of scaffold for me, it was just like you just said, which is, wow, this isn't even hard to learn because now it's through the eyes and ears and of a person, a real person with like a real narrative and real family and all of that, boy, that made it pretty like relevant. And you can picture the person yeah. with abdo. And yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that, I guess I would say, you know, as I think about third years, um, and, 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 and beyond, to and beyond right. And I think, and, and I think that you also as a third year student, you think, gosh, I'm just a squeak. I'm just a, I'm just a lowly third year student. I'm not going to contribute to the care of the patient. Nothing could be further from mm -hmm. the truth because that if, if you spend that time and make that effort, you will make that patient, you will contribute to improving his or her care. I mean, I almost could guarantee it, it happens all the time. And that certainly happened to me. I felt that was happening. Um, anyway, so now I want to go back to your question. <laughs> the question of not just learning how to talk to the patients, but also yes, how, to, how examine. to examine them. Great question. So I, like people ask me that, how did you learn to do that? Because I think as a student, and I'll tell you my experience as a student, I felt like I was all thumbs in terms of mm -hmm. doing procedures and, and, and I would include the exam as a very much a, like a manual tech you know, uh, tactile type of activity, and I did not feel good at it. Now, the resident I told you about, Leo, really helped me to sort of broke it down for me and felt like it almost like he demystified it in some sense for me. So I began to say, okay, maybe I should spend more time on this endeavor of, let's say, listening to the heart and you know maybe I can it seems like an unassailable skill I've never mastered it seems too hard I don't get it I don't hear anything when I listen I hear just weird I just hear I mean I don't know it doesn't sound like what they tell me it's supposed to sound like so I still felt that way I think throughout throughout most of medical school I think when I learned it was I began to when I was a fourth-year student, and this is another piece of advice I'd have, is I think a lot of times people squander their fourth year. They don't continue to try to learn. Fourth year is another great time. It's sort of like third year in the sense that you have a very small number of patients, but the bonus is you don't have to stay up all night like you did in third year. Or, you know, I don't know if you stay up all night anymore, but, I mean, you don't, it's not. You don't have the test at the end. Yeah, you don't have a test to the, study the for. Or... You have a little more sleep. Mm -hmm. You're kind of like more of a normal person as a fourth year. So your ability to learn stuff is enhanced. So I feel like beginning in fourth year, I started to say, okay, 
now I'm starting to get what he meant. Like I can hear that S3. And, and then what happened was when I became a resident, I can remember this very clearly, there were certain attendings I met who very much emphasized the physical exam. And it was very, again, very inspiring to me. I can remember this one female attending I had at the VA in the emergency room. We, when I was a resident, there was no emergency medicine. So emergency rooms were, one, were run by internal medicine and surgery pretty much. And so if you had trauma, you were seen by the surgery residents and the surgeons. If you had everything else and you were above a certain age, you were seen by internal medicine. So we spent a lot of time in the ER as residents. And so, but I had an attending there that was so, you know, I can remember her showing me how to hear a fourth heart sound. And I'd never heard it. I heard the third heart sound from this resident I told you about, but I could never hear the fourth heart sound. And she showed me, and she made me, she just, she, she, she heard it. And then she listened, she said, do you hear it? And she went back to the patient. We went, we like, listened. And this is in a busy emergency room. So again, that stood out to me, someone who was willing and ha and was really smart and really able to use those, what people talk about in this abstract sense as these important clinical skills, but yet you see people not doing it. And so you almost you you almost think it's fabrication. It's like a fallacy. It's like a fantasy, but it's not. She showed me it wasn't. So then in residency, I think I evolved. I look. I sought out those kinds of attendings. So when they would be tell me something, I go, okay, I'm going to try to do this. What I learned then was once I started looking around and talking to other. Dr. Aronowitz says this. You talk to other people. If if someone had a an interesting show me the murmur, show me the murmur right? I used to. Tell people, show me the murmur. Well, you do that a few times and people go, oh, yeah, I heard this murmur. I better show this guy Henderson. I'm going to call him. Pretty soon, people were coming to me saying, look, go listen to this guy's murmur. So, And I realized the more I did that, the better I got. It's like anything. You practice it, you get better at it. So as a resident, I think I really, I really got much better at those skills by seeking out like-minded individuals or people that I thought could show me. And then... Spending time, just like spending time with that patient, the guy with the rhabdo, learning who he was, why he was using cocaine, what happened in Vietnam, all that. Like the same thing with the heart. I start listening to the heart this way, sitting, lying, sideways, you know, the, the PMI, all that stuff. I started doing it myself on patients that other people told me about. And when you're in the hospital, it's so easy. You just walk down the hall. It's easy, but you just got to put in the effort, you know. So yeah. I think that's how I began to sort of make my physical diagnosis skills better. But I'll tell you, it it kept going even after residency. I remember taking a course. There was a very famous auscultator named Harvey who trained a lot of cardiologists in the south and in the northeast. And he was offering a course on auscultation. I remember I went to his course. It was one of the first things I asked for as a faculty member was – that I could go to this guy's course. And it was pretty cool. So, I mean, even that was already, I would have been perceived as good, but I, you know, I just wanted to get better at it. And I, I think I, it's about learning, right? Yeah. And it's life, lifelong learning. I'm still learning. And you're still teaching that now too, because right. we all learn those skills from you. Right. Well, so that's like, that's the part that also reinforces it, I guess. Mm -hmm. But the physical, and I learned like the physical exam, like I, I learned stuff from my colleagues here, like um, one of the pulmonologists, Bill Bonnet, you've met Dr. Bonacat maybe, right? 
his percussion technique. You know, I, you know, you start, you get to a level. Maybe it's like it's like any other skill, cooking. I don't know, music. I mean, you just you reach a certain level, and then you're just tweet. You know, you're fine tuning what you're doing. Um, so I'm always learning for people. I remember the first job I had. I was an internist in a practice that was affiliated with a with a, the uh, health system that I had trained in, but I was just it was a private. I had I was like in a private practice, and it was myself and another woman. She was a family physician. I was an internist. She was so good. I was terrible at women's health, and my when you get out and you go into the practice. What you learn very quickly is half the patients you see are women. Surprise. Okay. Yeah. Yet your whole residency in internal medicine in internal medicine, you know, I did I don't know how many, not very many like GYN exams. Okay? But my <laughs> the first day I began practicing as an internist, every other patient I saw was a woman, relatively healthy who needed like uh, a a well woman exam. So I I was I was in a way stuck. I either had to do it, learn how to do it or like I was, you know, so you know, be continue to be incompetent. So I learned, I did a ton of pelvic exams, a ton. And when I had probably bat, the other thing was vaginal bleeding, vaginal bleeding. It seemed like every other patient had vaginal bleeding or shoulder pain or headache. <laughs> And here I am, like this internal medicine trained person, you know, give me like sepsis, liver failure, I don't know, endocarditis. <laughs> that's what I that's what I'm comfortable with. But that discomfort, again, her name was Pat. I learned a ton from her. Uh so so Pat was this family physician and she she was all over this stuff. She was like vaginal bleeding, let me show you. Here, endometrial biopsy, let me show you. Let me so I, I and so we worked alongside each other. She taught me a lot, and I kind of probably had taught her some things too, but it was a very much a symbiotic learning kind of relationship, and after a while, I remember she and I went to a national meeting and gave a talk about how to take care of uh, vaginal bleeding in primary care. Here, yeah. me, the guy yeah. who knows nothing about it. Like a year later, two years, something like that, um, we gave this uh, talk on the approach, and we even wrote a paper about it because – People in primary care and internists in particular, they just are very uncomfortable with this stuff. So, uh, so it's a it's a lifetime of education. I think it's more of an attitude about learning, you know. And if you're uncomfortable, you don't know something, right? You what I learned was that you can learn by asking your colleagues, maybe getting a book out, maybe sort of using your. I mean, I had the skills, like I knew how to do a pelvic exam, but if you're not doing it. You're just going to atrophy, right? Your skills will atrophy. You'll become less comfortable. But, you know, after three months of doing 10 a day, it gets pretty routine. Right? I mean, so, you yeah, know, so yeah. like I think that that – but that would have not been on my radar because you just don't – you think you do your residency and you're going to learn everything you need to know. It's not true. Mm -hmm. I whispered that. It's not true. Um, I, I, at least in my view, it's not true. You have to keep learning. So and things uh, change all the time. And things so, change all the yeah. time, right? But even those fundamental skills, which I consider the ones I was just alluding mm -hmm. to to be very fundamental, they're just underemphasized in a lot of mo a lot of training today, especially internal medicine, but even other specialties. It's all about the hospital. 
in the hospital. I mean, you can't even do a pelvic exam properly. It's just crazy. Like you know, it's not. You, you, you could find some huge. You could find a huge ovarian tumor, but that's about it. So anyway, just like no, I, that's great advice. I think. I mean, all the things you just said are perfect for for people who are. And I think there's no you. there's no substitute. Bottom line is there's no substitute for clinical experience. Mm -hmm. You take care of patients. I don't care where it is, what it is, what rotation, what service, what setting. You're gonna you're gonna learn from that if your attitude is like that. Wow, I, I uh, this is something I don't know. This I feel comfortable with. This is what I can improve on. There's a ton to learn, and that's just I think. That's also underemphasized. I mean, it's not in a book. I mean, some of the stuff's in a book, but the way to the knowledge in my life of medicine has been through seeing patients in the way I described to you, not knowing how to do certain things, finding out from my colleagues, maybe looking stuff up, um, trying to get to know the patient because they give you a lot of this education so it's a combination of that learning attitude or maybe it's humility something along those All lines of the above. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well that was amazing yeah. and i think that's good advice and good words yeah. of wisdom for everyone so thank you dr henderson you're welcome thank you